Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, January 15th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We get the mayor's reaction to the province's decision to ease some of the pandemic restrictions beginning on Monday and ask whether or not we'll see his name on the ballot this coming October for the civic election. Well, we've had some success flattening the curve here in Alberta. That's certainly not the case in Ontario. We speak with Mike Stafford, host of The Morning Show on 640 AM Toronto, on the new stay-at-home order now in place in that province. Next, we head stateside for a look ahead to Wednesday's presidential inauguration of Joe Biden. We speak with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington bureau chief, for details on the unprecedented security measures being put in place ahead of the big day. And finally, are you looking to improve your financial fitness in 2021? We've got some advice to tackle holiday debt and get your finances back on track with financial counselor Jessica Morehouse. 8-11, and we are beginning to see a flattening of the curve once again in Calgary, and that led to an announcement yesterday that COVID restrictions will be loosened slightly. We also have a municipal election in about oh, nine months' time, so those are a couple of the big things that we want to chat with the mayor about, and his worship joins us now. We say good morning to Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, everyone. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, I think a, a lot of small business owners, a lot of uh, residents, obviously happy to hear that some of the restrictions are going to be loosened come Monday. Is that the right uh, you know, move, do you think? Could we go a little bit further or are we moving too quickly? Your thoughts on that? I think we have to really uh, have a balance here. Uh, we've been very fortunate in that the restrictions announced in December have had a really big impact. So we've cut the new cases by about half, uh, although hospitalizations and ICU remain very stubbornly high. However, we've sort of stabilized at about 1,000 cases a day, and 1,000 cases a day is what caused us to trip the alarm in the first place. So it's still a really alarming number. It's still very high, but way better uh, than it was uh, at the beginning in the middle of December. So what I had said yesterday, before I knew they were actually going to make the announcement, is that it's probably time for some surgical interventions where you can go in and say, you know, this particular activity, let's say hairstyling in a one-on-one -on -one environment where everyone's masked and the stylist is wearing gloves, is probably a safe thing to restart. And so that's really, I think, the, the path that the province is taking. You know, I was a bit surprised that sort of more intensive things like piercing and tattooing were on the list. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in any case, I think that's the right way to go. Because if we wholesale reopen, we'll just see the numbers go right back up. And, you know, on Monday night, I uh, picked up a pizza from my favorite local pizza place because I was thinking of them. And we had the chance to chat about how their business was doing. And they were very clear with me. They were like, the worst thing you could do or the province could do is reopen us and then close us again mm -hmm. when the numbers go up. You know, while we're doing takeout only, we're eligible for the federal government's rent subsidy uh, and wage subsidies, and actually we're doing okay, not great, but we're keeping our head above water just doing takeout, and that's actually better for us than opening with huge restrictions and then closing again. So those are the kinds of things you've got to keep in mind. You know, doing that trickle and, and, and doing those baby steps, not doing the wholesale opening as you refer to it as, Mr. Mayor, um, you're going to have some businesses that are upset. We hear from the Alberta Hospitality Association, and as you say, uh, they want to get it right. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think that this is one of those things that you're not going to keep everybody happy uh, when, no. you're do, when you're picking and choosing, right? No, it's impossible to keep everybody happy, but, you know, if I'm going to be blunt about it, the thing that makes you really unhappy is when you have to arrange a funeral. And so we just got to be very careful and make sure as well 
the businesses are really well aware of all of the uh, programs that are available for them, especially from the federal government, to keep them going. And as I say, most restaurants to whom I've spoken say it is actually better to be restricted to takeout uh, and delivery only uh, because they can now access that rent subsidy. Mm. Whereas if they were limited to 15% capacity, they don't get the rent subsidy and it's really hard for them to make money. On the other hand, hairstylists often are sole entrepreneurs or they rent the chair, but they work for themselves and they don't have access to the same sorts of programs. So that particular one makes sense from a safety perspective, but also from helping those folks through their, their lives. Fair enough. You know, we have a juicy question we want to ask you, but we're going to save that. Can you hang on uh, for a couple of minutes after the break? Well, how could I not? Okay, good. Okay, good. Before we get to that, though, I just wanted to check on this, uh, the green line, uh, the the story that, you know, kind of never goes away. But we're hearing now that there's a a board been announced to help steer this project. Do you think this is finally going to get us either to the point where it goes ahead or something happens concretely? We were very lucky in uh, the recruitment of that board. It's really an extraordinary board of directors um, of people with great expertise in big projects in engineering and construction and transit and stakeholder management, mostly Calgarian, but people from across the country. So I'm very, very pleased with that. That was always our plan because we really want to manage the risk. And I think that's the critical thing that nobody wants this to go over budget. Nobody wants it to fail. And so we put in a whole bunch of risk management things. And, you know, we've invited the province um, to be part of the board, to uh, appoint their own people to the board if they really want to have more of a stake in it. So far, as they've actually said, kind of makes me laugh, uh, it's better if they hold all the liability and not us. But this is a partnership, and ultimately, we're going to work together and build this thing right, and this is another step in that direction. Good stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, we're uh, going to continue the conversation. Just a quick pause, and uh, we'll uh, join you in one minute, Mr. Mayor. Great. Thank you. 8.18 on the morning news, and uh, we're still with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We uh, try to uh, catch up with him each and every Friday. And, Mr. Mayor, before the Christmas break, we'd asked you about October of uh, 2021. You said you were going to take some time, take the holidays, uh, you know, uh, with your... With your uh, well, However many family members you were allowed to uh, spend time with. Uh, None, sadly. And, uh, and uh, by yourself and staring at the mirror. Um, and, uh, you know, looking to 2021 and maybe make your mind up. So I'm wondering, now we have, what, four people who have officially confirmed uh, their run for mayor. I think paperwork is filed. Many others' uh, names being bandied about. So I'm wondering, and this is the perfect venue for it. Um, are you going to announce your candidacy uh, on our program today? And, and, and if not, uh, when, when will you make such a decision? This is truly the perfect venue for it, I think. Um, but uh, no, I'm not going to announce it today. I'm just not still there yet. Uh, you know, it's funny because I'm such an atypical politician, as you know, in so many ways. And I'm having all these people who know politics, and I'm putting that in air quotes, um, telling me, why are you going to announce at all? Hmm. The best thing for you to do is to wait until May or June to announce. Um because you people don't need to know your name. You don't have to introduce yourself to them. And, and look, in reality, you want to be fair to everyone who is interested in running for this job. Um, they need to have time to set up their campaigns, mm-hmm. to recruit volunteers, to raise money, all those things you do in a campaign. So I, I really am running up against the clock here, and I really do have to make an announcement soon. And there's a lot going into that. There's a lot of personal questions around what I want for myself, and I'm not used to asking myself questions about what I want for myself. Um, but there's also a lot of bigger questions about how is this 
pandemic going? What do we think is happening with vaccination? What do we think is happening with the overall Calgary economy? What shape will the city be in in October? And is that a good shape to be able to hand things over? Uh, But I will say one other thing, which is, this may surprise people to hear, but I'm actually really grateful for the people who are putting their names forward. You know, it takes a lot to make that decision, and it's a lot of sacrifice for yourself and your family, and I don't want to be a martyr. It's a great job, too. Uh, but, you know, for people to be brave enough to put their names forward and give Calgarians a choice, I'm really grateful for that. And I hope that regardless of whether I'm on the ballot or not, we use this as an opportunity to reflect on the great things we've built uh, here in Calgary and on people's vision going forward. And I hope that anyone who wants to run is now using this as an opportunity to really talk about not just what they don't like, but to talk about how they're going to build Calgary forward so Calgarians can imagine them. Is this the person that I want sitting in the CEO's office trying to bring business to Calgary? Is this the person I need advocating for Calgary on the world stage and with the federal and provincial governments? Is this the person who is going to make sure the services I value are being able to be delivered at a fair price and with low taxes? So um, this will, you know, I like elections and whether or not I'll be in it, uh, I hope that we'll use this as an opportunity not for anger and division, but a real opportunity for us to talk about what we're trying to build here. You know, I'm glad you said that because it, it, we can easily take swipes at politicians and that's our right as citizens, right? But it does take Absolutely. a lot to step up and take over that job. It, it really, it is a, a whole different lifestyle. I know you are constantly at events as the mayor and whoever. No, not so much this year. Well, yeah, not so, <laughs> this is very different for you. But if it's you or someone else who takes over the mayor's chair, how many hours do you normally put in a week working at events, whatever it might be? Well, I usually, not in the non-COVID year, um, I will usually be at evening events uh, five or six nights out of seven. Uh, On a typical weekend, uh, on a Saturday or Sunday, I have an absolute minimum of five events. And the biggest days, like your neighbor day or your Canada day, would be upwards of 30 events. Um, And uh, my joke is that I always try to clear one of Friday, Saturday, or Sunday every week so that I can prepare for the council meeting upcoming. The council agendas can be 1,500 pages long. Uh, And I succeed in clearing one of those days, probably one out of every three weeks. (laughs) It's a big Uh, job. It's been totally different. I'm I'm, I'm I'm, I'm making a path in my carpet between my my desk and my bed in my bedroom because I just pace all the time as I'm doing right now. It is a big job. Now, if you decide not to run for mayor, just throwing this out there that, you know, there is, a, you know, an, an opening coming up on this radio station. So maybe a talk show I, I host have heard that. might be. Uh, in- and I've heard that. I've heard that former politicians uh, nicely transition to radio. But, you, you know, you know, with this beautiful face, right? <laughs> the, city, the city mourned when Andy went from TV to radio. <laughs> So I'm just not sure I could do that to the citizens. Well, the opening is here. So, you know, you have to apply like everybody else. But yeah, I can put in a good word for you. So thank I appreciate you. it. Thank, thank you, you so much for joining us, Mayor. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good weekend. Stay safe, as always. Calgary Mayor Nahid Menchi. 8.43 on the morning news. Ontario is now under tighter restrictions as COVID cases continue to rise. And that involves a stay-at-home order for the province. To break down the new measures, Mike Stafford, the host of The Morning Show on 640 Toronto, joins us now. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Andrew. How you doing? Good. Well, these new stringent restrictions went into effect yesterday morning at 12.01 a.m. So I'm wondering now over 24 hours into it, how's the reaction been? Uh, the pandemic's over. Um, we're all back to work. Uh, the economy is 
through the roof. It's. I wish I could say that to you. <laughs> the uh, if there's a word to be used for Ontarians, it's confusion. The messaging has been brutal, um, and people are overthinking it. Uh, the premier. This is. He stopped short of saying curfew. He doesn't like the idea of a curfew. He thinks Ontarians can police themselves, unlike in Quebec, and. Uh, We've been spending the past 24 hours, Andrew and Sue, basically going, okay, so can I go ice skating, but I can't go skiing? Uh, if I leave the home, can I leave more than once a day? The Premier had to reiterate yesterday, I've got one message, just stay at home. Unless you've got to go out, just stay at home. We were concerned about police enforcement. Um, I've got a letter in my car from my employer saying I'm allowed to come to work because I'm the only announcer here in Toronto who actually works out of the uh, the building every morning. So uh, confusion has been absolutely the number one word over the past 24. I would say that that's sort of the name of the game right across the country with different rules and regulations from the feds and from different provinces. Are, are you hearing from listeners and, and folks in Toronto as to, you know, whether they think this was the right thing to do, confusing aside, you know, to lock things down and really try to get a handle on it? It's a, I wouldn't say 50-50 split, but it's a pretty decent split between people who call this, you know, another overreaction. Just about an hour ago, Premier Doug Ford actually kicked one of his MPPs out of caucus because he wrote an open two-page letter to the Premier that the media got a hold of, calling this an overreaction, the cure is worse than the disease. Um, he's now going to sit as an independent at, uh, at Queen's Park. Uh, the listeners themselves... There's been a lot of real worry, obviously, from the small business people, but uh, parents as well, uh, because our schools, schools rather, public schools are closed until the 10th of February, and there's no indication. Well, Sue, you know Toronto. You've, yeah. you, you've lived here. You know how we handle three centimeters of snow? <laughs> Not well. <laughs> I used to always joke in my career, wait till Toronto has to really face something. And, um, and here, here in the city, is. that has happened, and... Uh, a real, I, I hate to say lack of leadership because I think Doug Ford has really proven himself pretty strong uh, here and there. But um, yesterday, after the premier said, we've got to stay at home, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to flatten the curve. And then the Board of Health in Toronto, their chairperson, then came out and said, never mind a stay-at-home order, February's going to be devastating. Oh. I mean, what kind of message is that? Mm. You know, speaking of February, you know, with the launch of this uh, being announced, was there an end date announced, or is it just kind of open-ended when it comes it to this? It is an emergency order that I do believe ends, uh, don't quote me on the exact date, I believe second week of February, of course, they can easily extend it. This is the second emergency order since the first wave here in Ontario, and um, I would say it's definitely the strictest, but uh, again, lacking the foresight to close the we have a huge problem in this in the city of toronto are the big box stores that are still allowed to be fully open right yeah it's again adding to the confusion right mixed message for for so many yeah i mean i, I don't know what's going on in alberta if they have to uh, i think manitoba cordons off certain non-essential yeah, areas of the walmarts the costcos mm. but that's been a huge problem we still allow non-essential businesses to offer curbside service, yet we're told not to leave the house except for essential reasons. So, yeah, the messaging has been pretty brutal. Well, we'll be watching what's happening at uh, your end of the country as we continue to uh, to uh, see what's happening here in our province as well. Uh, as a Toronto girl, pleasure and an honour to talk to you, Mike. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Andrew. Mike Stafford, host of the morning show on 640 in Toronto.
7.09 on the morning news and uh, turmoil continues stateside following the riots at Capitol Hill, which led to the second House impeachment for President Donald Trump. We've got a breakdown on what this means for the U.S. with Global News' Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning, Andrew. So much to cover this morning, including I, I just saw the stat. It looks like uh, the death count uh, inching closer to 400,000 from COVID-19. We will get to that in a second. But some clarity on what this second impeachment for President Donald Trump uh, means. And as far as the timeline, could we see any action before the 20th, before Inauguration Day? Or are we going to have to wait until uh, President-elect Joe Biden is inaugurated? Yeah, it seems at this point like they're not going to get to that until after Joe Biden is inaugurated. And what I mean by get to that is the Senate portion of the impeachment trial, which is where you decide whether or not to convict and remove a president from office. And you might be wondering, well, what's the point of trying to remove him from office after he's already left office? It would be a move at this point to bar Trump from ever holding public office again, because if he's convicted, he can't run again. So that's essentially what they're still looking at doing. And there are Republicans who have at least left the door open to this. Mitch McConnell hasn't said, for example, which way he would vote on this, because I think the Republican Party realizes that Trump has badly damaged their brand. You know, corporate donors, which is the lifeblood of politics in this country, they're, they're eyeing the exit. They're saying no more donating to Republican causes or at least Republican candidates who supported the election fraud lie. So uh, there is reason to think they may still take this action even after Biden is president. And yet we keep hearing, Jackson, I don't know if it's true or not, that you know that Trump and the Trump name and the Trump family is so important to the Republican Party that he still, even after all the things that he's done, is really... A- a key part of that party itself. Well, he's important to the Republican Party in the sense that Republican voters are certainly still in favor of Trump and the Trump name. Uh, I think there's a risky, you know, sort of bet that they're making, though, as to whether or not that's a long-term strategy. As I mentioned, you know, those corporate donors saying they won't donate anymore, that's a big red flag for Republicans. The other thing is that uh, the sort of Trump rump of the party, if you want to call it that, the segment of the party that supports Trump and is strictly tied to him, on its own is not big enough to sustain a political movement or win elections. You need mainstream Republicans on board as well. And if they're not willing to play ball, uh, given everything that's taken place over the past two weeks, then the Republican Party's in real trouble. Let's uh, look ahead to next Wednesday, Inauguration Day. And, and uh, you read an article that the FBI was concerned about increased uh, conversations and increased traffic uh, surrounding conversations uh, about uh, you know rising up over the next several days uh, before the inauguration date. Um, and we actually, we, we, we stumbled across a flyer that had something about the 17th of encouraging people to get out there, uh, different states, all 50 states. What are you hearing and uh, what, uh, what are the odds of, of seeing one of these mass gatherings before or on inauguration day? Yeah, there is so much concern about security right now that they've actually scrubbed a dress rehearsal for the inauguration that was set for Sunday here in Washington. They're moving it to Monday now. And you're right, all 50 state capitals are on high alert uh, because there are these these threats of armed protests uh, and perhaps even violence. Uh, you know, here in D.C., they have uh, 20,000 members of the National Guard that have been deployed to secure the inauguration. And to put that in context for you, if I'm not mistaken, there are only 23,000 regular members of the Canadian Army. So that is the equivalent of the Canadian Army just guarding Washington, D.C. right now. Uh, tells you on, uh, you know, sort of the threats that they're fearing here. They've been told to watch for things like bombs or mass shootings or mass casualty events that might be designed to disrupt the inauguration. My gosh. I, you know, and also seeing that, uh, you know, former members of the U- current or former members of the U.S. military or law enforcement were part of the riots at the Capitol last week. So that's got to, you know, have them worried as well when it comes to, you know, tactics and body armor and perhaps being armed heavily. 
Yeah, lots of concern about that for sure. Uh, we understand that the Secret Service is undertaking uh, sort of more detailed screening, both of its own members, but also of the members of the National Guard uh, who will be guarding the inauguration. So uh, lots of lots of concern here. You've even had Democrats come out this week and say they're worried about some of their fellow members of Congress because you've got uh, some who are adherents to the QAnon conspiracy theory who are now elected Republicans. You've got uh, several who have insisted on uh, exercising their right to carry firearms on the floor of Congress. And there's concern that some of those Republicans may have also coordinated with the protesters. Uh, one thing that's under investigation are these tours that were led in the day or two before the siege of the Capitol building by these Republican members of Congress. And, and there's at least 30 Democrats who called for an investigation because they feel there was a suspicious amount of tour activity uh, of these groups being led around the Capitol building the day before it was stormed. Of course, the uh, Biden presidency starts uh, on the 20th officially, and uh, one of the things he's been very vocal about over the past few months is really hitting the ground running when it comes against uh, comes to the battle against uh, coronavirus. And I'm, I'm looking now, and it looks like the, the number's inching closer to 400,000 deaths. He really has his work cut out for him. Are we seeing any uh, glimmers of hope, Jackson, down south? Not right now. You know, there's a prediction that we will see uh, as many as 90,000 deaths here in the next three weeks. I mean, this, this virus is absolutely out of control in this country. And I know it's taken a back burner right now to everything going on in Washington, but it really shouldn't because uh, it impacts everybody. Uh, you know, the, the situation in California right now is absolutely disastrous. And Biden is essentially saying that he's walking into a vaccine distribution system that is not up to snuff and not set to uh, get the vaccine doses out there nearly as quickly as is needed right now. And part of being able to do that is why his uh, his uh, coronavirus and economic policy, Joe Biden's, is so massive. One point nine trillion dollars is the plan that we heard about last night. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, unemployment numbers start to really creep back up here rapidly. And I think it's sort of proof, uh, you know, back to the original arguments uh, at the start of all this, you know, that there was a choice between controlling the virus or the economy. And it turns out that to fix the economy, you have to fix the virus because the layoffs have started again here on mass unemployment's creeping back up uh, as more and more people are sick, as more and more places are forced to shut down because the virus is running so rampant. And uh, just to, to go back to the inauguration day itself, because I know that, uh, you know, on the ground in D.C., I'm assuming you're going to be very busy. Give us, give us some sort of an idea on how this heightened security and how the situation and the events of January 6th are going to affect your coverage. Uh, you know, how close you can get to it uh, and, and uh, you know, different protections and protocols you're putting in place. Yeah, so we're working on a, a rooftop that has a view of the inauguration stage. It's nearby, uh, but certainly it's within a security perimeter, and that perimeter keeps expanding day by day by day. So uh, by the time we get to Monday, uh, I'm probably in for a pretty long walk to the office because all the roads are shut down. Um, you know, the National Guard has set up checkpoints, and there's that security fence that they've now topped with razor wire. So uh, it is a security operation that we're certainly not used to seeing. What typically happens here for things like inauguration or Fourth of July there's a lot of security. You get some National Guard, but that security is there to allow people to gather. And you, you would normally expect in a non-pandemic time, you know, half a million to a million people to gather on the National Mall for an inauguration. And this time, all that security is meant to keep people away entirely. That's what's so different about it. Amazing. Well, if not before, we'll definitely be checking in with you on Inauguration Day. Thank you so much for joining us, Jackson. Have a great weekend. You too. Thanks. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. PC Financial has teamed up with accredited financial counselor Jessica Moorhouse to help us ease post-holiday stress and to set up and build a stronger financial foundation into 2021. Joining us with details is Jessica Moorhouse. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us this morning. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's start out with exactly what you mean by a strong financial foundation. Ooh, yes. So I, I, I feel like I've been using that term for a while, so most people may not even know what the heck I'm talking about. It really, kind of when you think about a, a structure or your house, you've got that foundation. That's kind of the core, uh, you know, part of making sure your house doesn't collapse. The same thing is with your finances. So what that really entails in my books is having a budget or a spending plan, just having an idea of what should we be doing with our incomes? Where do we want it to go? Savings, our fixed expenses or variable expenses, really having that outlined. And then the two other really key components in my books is uh, to track your spending so you know where your money's actually going and then tracking your net worth, which is a great way to uh, stay accountable, but also see your progress. If you're not tracking your net worth, which is really the difference that your, your assets minus your liabilities or your debts, uh, how will you know if your wealth is actually growing, if you're actually saving money and paying down debt every month? If you do those three, core things, you'll feel so much better about your money moving forward, I promise. Jessica, I think we all like, you know, think where where am I going to be in 10 years or, you know, think big picture, like paying off that mortgage mm-hmm. as soon as possible. But one of the points that you underscore is to make the most of smaller moments. So what do you mean by that? Well, I feel like it's, it's difficult to, to really set goals right now or, or think about the future because we have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> this year. I'm certainly not really thinking about the future. I'm just kind of thinking about the weeks and months ahead and that kind of keeps me sane. And so with that, I think it's actually kind of a, a great way. Instead of thinking about these big, big ideas that can sometimes overwhelm you, kind of getting a little bit smaller and thinking about smaller things that you can do that will have a big impact. And there's so many little things that we can do from the comfort of our own homes. I mean, I'm in Toronto. We're in a stay-at-home order again. Mm -hmm. So we're not leaving anytime soon. So these are easy things that anyone can do. So um, a quick example of uh, a way that I saved a ton of money was uh, during the holidays, me and my husband did obviously a staycation. We were actually considering maybe we can rent an Airbnb, go someplace. And we're like, you know what? I think I should probably prefer just being in our own home. But how can we make it kind of fun? And so we set up a bunch of activities. Again, it was just me and him. And so, you know, we did some banking. We did some board games. We watched some of our favorite TV shows of, you know, uh, years past. And we just kind of actually had a really great time. And that sounds really crazy to say, but I had a great holiday just in my own home. And we spent virtually no money besides groceries. Um, and, and there's always, of course, the typical uh, thing that we hear, the latte factor. Um, you know, if you can avoid buying that daily latte, or that could also refer to like buying lunch uh, every day, you know, uh, and not making it at home, you can save a ton of money over time. So just like considering those little things, super, super helpful and important. One thing I also want to talk about since I mentioned how key it is to have a budget, and this is something I think most people don't really think about when you craft that budget, once you're like, okay, this is where I'd like my money to to go, uh, implementing that, <laughs> putting that into practice is way harder than mm-hmm. it looks. Um, and one strategy I've used with my financial counseling clients is to create what I, I call a cash flow system, which is really like outlining what are all your different bank accounts, credit cards, um, and how can we make them work together? And one the kind of thing that I uh, usually suggest is most of us, uh, you know, use our credit cards, and that's great. Really be defined with what you're putting on that card. Don't just put anything and everything on it, but be like, 
We're putting our groceries on that. We're going to, you know, put our fixed expenses, our bills and our subscriptions on that. So we're not a big, it's not a big surprise when we get that bill. And then also being very clear on what credit card are we going to be using for those expenses so we can really optimize things. You know, for instance, there's a PC Financial MasterCard. A lot of people love using that for groceries because you get PC Optimum points, which you can then use for a bunch of things like buying future groceries. I mean, I got a lot of free groceries over the holidays because I actually used lots of my points. You know, I love that you said that you, you, you found a, a positive in it, even though you had to do a staycation at home. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, when we do come out the end of this, I, I think hopefully we'll all be able to look back and find one or two things that, that really were a positive. But, you know, as you mentioned, you, you stayed home, you saved money. Mm-hmm. So saving through 2021, how much do we need to put away each month? And, and what about people mm-hmm. who, who, you know, barely are making it through each month right now? Well, that's the thing. I feel like it's, it's kind of a an excuse sometimes depending on your situation they're like oh i can't afford to save there's always a way to save something obviously everyone's situation is different but it's really important that's why i always tell people it's so important to track your expenses to really know where is your money going so take a look at your different statements from your credit cards and your bank accounts and see okay does this make me feel good number one and is my you know spending habits are is it helping me reach my savings goals if not it's time to kind of cut out some of those things and i think a lot of people don't like the idea of that but maybe instead of thinking of it's a permanent thing that you're doing you're permanently cutting out this out of your life it's a temporary thing until you've reached that savings goal so in terms of how much should you save it really depends on why you're saving and so that's another thing it's really important when you're crafting a budget is uh, clearly defining what your financial goals are so if you're saving, what's that mean? Maybe you're saving for an emergency fund, which I highly recommend everyone should save, especially now. I think it's never been more clear how important an emergency fund is because mm-hmm. the financial emergencies happen all the time. Saving for that future vacation. I mean, I know I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, but the first, you know, uh, opportunity yeah. I get to go back home to Vancouver and visit my family, I'm going to be on that flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with like the first, you know, next time I can go on some kind of resort vacation, I want to go. So I'm saving right now for whenever that opportunity is. And so really figuring out what am I saving for? And then you can kind of figure out how much can I actually afford to put towards those goals. Jessica, a couple of takeaways you mentioned earlier, you know, know your budget, know where your spending is going. And you also mentioned earlier about opening up that credit card and maybe getting a surprise. Do you think a lot of people have their head in the sand and they don't write down those things that they spend and don't, you know, have a full uh, understanding of how much they owe? What Absolutely. <laughs> That's the big problem. Every single person I've worked with uh, or or talked to, no one's tracked their spending. Um, And so once you really get into the habit, I know it doesn't sound fun. It's probably the thing that you'd like to do the least. But because you do have to kind of confront your past situation, I think what's really important when you're tracking your spending, and again, uh, you know, I have like budget spreadsheets that I give away for free on my website. It's really just about downloading those transactions, copying, pasting them into a spreadsheet, taking a good look, or you can just look at the PDF and see what's going on there. And it's not about feeling shame or blaming yourself for those kind of past uh you know, purchases or splurges, it's about identifying what are some problem areas and moving forward, what can I do? So it's really about kind of giving yourself some grace and then using that data so you can make better choices in the future. Never too late to get started for sure. Thanks so much. We'll direct people to your website. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. Thanks for having me. That is Jessica Morehouse, financial counselor, and you can go to jessicamorehouse.com for those spreadsheets and for more information.